This is the Relevant Life Church podcast, where we are about connecting with God, relating to people, and reaching our world. Tune in as our church goes through this week's teaching in God's Word. Anyway, I hope you're doing good today. See, Phil's got it down. That was the goal right there. Anyway, I'm excited that you're here today. If you do not know me, my name is Trenton. I am the youth and worship pastor here at Relevant Life Church. I get the honor and privilege of doing that. Um, and can we give it up for our lead pastor today for, for uh, trusting his staff at times to speak, because it's, it's a big responsibility. Anyway, um, I'm excited about today and the opportunity we get to conclude a series that we've been in. If you've been here, if not, I'm going to try to review a little bit. Um, but before that, I want to do a couple of reminders. First of all, on that video announcement, this is more applicable to those online. It said that next week, due to a global worker, we are show, not showing that live stream. The worship will be live streamed. So just for the online audience to know that, that will be a live part of the service, and then we'll have a sermon replay. So you guys will see that. Um, the other thing I want to remind you um, about, you probably didn't know, this week is staff advance um, for our, our staff at RLC. And so I want to encourage you to pray for us as we leave this week to go away. Um, I don't know about you, but I want to hear God's voice for the direction that we're headed in, um, especially after the years that we've been through, and go, God, what do you have next for our community? So would you make it a priority? Everyone pull your phone right now, because I know none of you are going to remember. And go pray for the staff this week. Um, pray that we would have God encounters like no one pulled out their phone. So I'm hoping your mental, mental ability. Right. Oh yeah, let's go. Frank did it. Naomi did it. The saved people did it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, so that's, that's the uh, second thing. And the third thing I want to remind you of this morning is version. How many people know what version is? Okay. So I'm just doing this as a reminder because it comes to my mind often and I don't always remember to say something or whatever, but we have all of our sermon slide notes on version Bible app. So if you have that app, you can go on there and at the bottom of your screen, it says more. You click on more halfway down on the next screen. It says events, click on events, type in relevant life church, and you can save those notes, take extra notes in it. And I've heard that you have a 90% chance higher to make it into heaven if you take notes. So I don't know about you, but like that's taking notes for you. You just have to save it. Um, I'm just the messenger. I don't know where I heard that. But anyway, how many people are excited for church today? Yeah. Say God is good. God is good. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be honest with you. There's messages where you get up here and you're like, I just feel ready to give this. I don't care if people stare at me in sleep. Today is one of those ones where I feel like I need a lot of interaction. So I need your face to be on its best behavior. Like I need smiles. I need you to repeat after me when I say to repeat after. Does this sound good? All right, that was decent. All right, anyway, today I get the privilege of concluding a six-week journey we've been on called Playing the Long Game. Turn to your neighbor, to your neighbor say, Playing the Long Game. And if you've been with us, you know that when we say playing the long game, we mean taking the necessary steps now to set yourself up for long-term success. And I added the word later to this definition today. Taking the necessary steps now to set yourself up for long-term success later. And the reason I did that is because playing the long game is really just a tension between now and later. It's a, it's a tension to go, I'm here, but like something's happening down the road and I want to play right now in a way that impacts up there. Does that make sense? And so it, it's, it's, it's living the moment we are in in such a way that recognizes much bigger than right now. It's bigger than what our situation is right now, what we feel right now, what we think right now, what we have right now, what we want right now, what we think we need right now, right? I wrote it this way, playing the long game is assessing where you are at now, but then from there stepping back and looking at later and then making decisions in this moment, this is good, that we will be most pleased with and that will make most sense then, even if they are less pleasing and don't make sense now. That's a really long statement, but that should like rock your world. You should be taking a photo of that or save that right now. 
playing the long game, assessing where you're at now, stepping back and looking at later, and then making decisions in this moment that we will be most pleased with and, and that will make most sense then, even if they are less pleasing and don't make sense now. And we all, like, I think everyone understands this. We, not, we might not be good at applying it, but we all, like, understand this idea of playing the long game. Adam Gonzalez, I just saw your face. Sorry, squirrel. I talked to um, your barber this week. Um, just squirrel. Anyway, um, clear, clearly I was focused on right now, not later in that moment. But I love you. It just made me think of you, and I had a moment this week I missed Adam. So, okay. Anyway, so we all understand this, but I don't think we're good at applying it. And, like, if you don't believe me, like, just think for a second. Like, every one of you, if I came up to you and was like, hey, do you have advice to give to a young person on how they should be living right now? All of you would have advice. And that's because you recognize that at one point in your life, you live by the adrenaline of making uh, a decision in that moment, not thinking about how that decision would affect you later. And so the whole idea of playing the long game is going, no, later matters. Later matters, and I want to live my life now in a way that matters. And so that's what we've been talking about, but in a much broader sense. More than just a financial or, or relationship, playing the long game, we're talking about eternity, where your soul ends up in the end. And that's a big deal. And so Pastor Kevin summed up week one. He said, we are living finite lives. We're playing by infinite rules with an eternal purpose at stake. And what he was getting at is that your time on earth here is, is short, but that doesn't mean like the game ends there. Like, you're playing for something much, much larger and much more vast than the life and the moments you're facing right now. And this is essential because so many of us live by our feelings. And you can't, like, your feelings, like, will not lead you in a right direction down the road. And so we have to recognize this wisdom. And so I'm not going to unpack everything you have missed if you have not been here. Some amazing messages. So I encourage you to go back and check them out. Last week we heard about who our real opponent is. And Pastor Sarah and Pastor Kevin did an amazing job, right? Can we give them a hand? And so today, I want, to, um, I want to conclude this series, and I want to do that by asking a question that has been hit upon over the last five weeks. But as me and PK were mapping this out, we felt like this question is the question we need to end it by. And that's the question, how do I know if I am winning? How do I know if I am winning? Right? How do I know if I'm winning? Because the whole point of playing a game, unless you're not competitive, which I think you're lying, is to win the game. How many people are like, if I'm playing the game, I'm winning, right? Some of you are lying. You're not participation people like that. You know it. You do not like to lose. So the whole point of playing the game is winning. And so the title of my message today is, Am I Winning? Am I Winning? Turn to your neighbor and say, Am I Winning? And if you know the truthful answer to that, don't answer it because, you know, I don't know, if you're a spouse, you might be sleeping on the couch tonight. But um, how many people by raising hands would admit that in this last year you have asked the question, am I winning? Anyone? I think more people probably have asked it. What about this last month? Keep your hands up. Last week? What about today? I'm asking right now if I'm winning in my head mentally. So I'm just letting you know, like, I'm asking this question. I think whether we recognize it or not or whether it's in the same form of these three words, we ask this question, am I winning? And so that's what I want to talk about today. But first I'm going to pray and then we're going to jump in. So God, I just thank you for these moments. God, I don't um, have confidence, God, in the word that I'm about to share, but the power of the Holy Spirit that's going to work in these hearts and lives. So I just pray that um, you would move, God, in these words. God, I believe that this message is going to hit home for some people. I know this week as I was writing, it's something that I need to apply better to my life. And I personally believe, God, there's people in here that feel like they're losing and have felt like they're losing, and it's because they're looking to the wrong metrics. 
And so I pray that today, God, as we study what winning really looks like, I pray that this would sink in our hearts, God, and we would recognize the responsibility that we have, God, and it would be freeing, but it would also cause us to step into a greater passion and relationship with you. And I just thank you for it. I pray that you prepare the hearts in this room right now. Um, in Jesus' name, everyone said. Amen. How, by raising hands this morning, how many of you ever played um, a game with a, with a child, maybe a niece or nephew, where like the rules or objective of the game is constantly changing? Anyone know what I'm talking about? Okay, now to be really honest, how many people have tried to change the rules so the kid doesn't beat you? <laughs> All right, yeah, uh, all, the co- all the competitive people said amen to that. Um, this has happened a few times in my life, but as I was prepping for this message, I was thinking back to a couple uh, months ago when Allie and I were at a friend's house, and at this friend's house, they had this like little air hockey table, and I started to play air hockey with one of their kids there, and it was cool. The air hockey table had like this little score counter on the side, so if the puck went in my goal, they would get a point. If the puck went in their goal, I would get a point. Hopefully that makes sense. And I remember we were playing for a little bit, and for some reason, the score ended up getting off at one point, and I think it's because one of the siblings came over and was like just throwing the puck in the goal or something. And of course, like if you're OCD like me, I actually wasn't the one who drove this, but the other kid, his sibling drove this. He decided, okay, I'm going to clear the score back, but set it back to what it was prior to this mistake. And so this was sound logic. The issue was, is he decided to put the puck in my goal for my score and the puck in his goal for his score, which ended up making his score show on my score and my score show on his score. And I just lost some of you, but that's the point. It's confusing. Um, And so what ended up happening is we ended up playing and I'm watching my score show on his side. And when it got to the the point goal that we had said was going to win, I stopped the game. And to his confusion, he thought, that I didn't win. And luckily his dad was there to clear up the matter because I ain't losing to a little kid. Like, you know what I'm talking about. Um, and I, I'm working on it, okay? Like, if, you're, if you have a youth student, I may have been mean to them in nine square. I repent every Sunday night after youth group, but God's working on my heart. That's all that matters. Anyway, the reason I bring this up today is because I think in a lot of ways it perfectly illustrates the scenario and feeling we walk through life with. Like, I don't know about you, but like there's days where I wake up and go, I have no idea if I am winning or losing. Like, does anyone else out there like know what I'm talking about? Or am I the only human here? I think sometimes like we're walking through life and you're like, you think the score shows one thing, but actually shows something different. Or you think it should show this, but actually shows something different. And you know this is true when your spouse is mad at you and you have no idea why they're mad at you. And you're like, I thought the score was better. That never happens to Allie and I because we're perfect. But, right, babe? <laughs> anyway, you guys get what I'm saying, though. And so what I want to point out today is that we spend a lot of time walking through life going, I don't know what the score is. And it hit me this week as I was prepping that we spend the first, like the majority of the first part of our lives, the first two decades of our lives, so roughly ages 5 to ages 22 if you complete college, living your life by a grading system, right? You're getting A, B, C, D, or F, right, on your grades. So you're walking through life, and whether you care or not, your teacher's delivering this grading system. The issue with this is one day you wake up and that grading system is gone. That's not the real world. I don't know about you, but like at the end of the week, I don't get an A, B, C, D, or F written on a sheet paper from Allie saying you crushed it in your marriage this week. Like as a parent, your kids probably don't come up and go, mom, you just, mom, dad, you just gave, you just gave an A plus effort this week. Your job, your boss, if they're not good at affirming, you have no idea if you're winning or losing. I don't know about you, but that's frustrating. That's hard. Anybody with me? Like that's hard. And so, of course, we can kind of guess our, our, um, our letter grade based on our, our perception, but this can be really hard. And this happened to me last Saturday. I totally thought that I was losing. It was a hard day. I woke up and was in my head. And looking back now, I actually realized the only reason I thought I was losing was because I was looking at the wrong metrics, 
the metrics I was looking at were wrong. I didn't, I didn't have the right set of metrics around it. And when I say metrics, I mean a method of measuring something or the results revealed from this method of measurement. So in other words, if I would have been looking at God's metrics for my life, the way he measured things, not my metrics or my others' metrics or the world's metrics, I would have realized my score, my evaluation was actually a lot different. And this is like, this is super important. And whether you, this is clicking or not, you, whether you feel like it now or you feel like it later, you're going to wake up and go, what am I basing my life off of? What are the metrics I'm basing my life off of? And what I realized is that winning is very subjective. And by subjective, the definition of subjective means based on or influenced by personal feelings, tastes, or opinions. So when I say winning is subjective, it means that winning, in my view, is what winning is, and winning in your view is what winning is. And this can make deciding if winning or losing is really hard, because you could go up to someone and be like, hey, do you feel like I'm winning? You probably wouldn't ask it like that. And they could be like, well, and you're like, great, that, that's terrible. And so what I want you to recognize is that we have to find the person with the right metrics. Um, and so my question this morning is, if winning is subjective based on opinion, whose opinion should we be looking at to base our definition of winning off of? If winning is subjective, whose opinion should we be looking to, to base our definition of winning off of? And like the easy answer, well, just myself, right? Like it's easier that way I can like ease up on myself or not. But we all, I think we already know that'd be a terrible idea. And the reason we have insecurities is because oftentimes we're trying to live by the metrics of other people, and you feel like you don't measure up. And so what I want to do today is I want to look at the opinion of the God who made us and this game of life, and I want to give you two metrics. And doing this is going to look a little something like this. As some of you guys know, I'm a massive basketball fan. Do I have any big sports fans in the room today? And if you watch basketball like me, you've noticed in the last couple of years, they've added a segment to um, nationally televised games where like if a ref goes to the review table to review the play on the floor and see if they need to change it or if it's been challenged by a coach or whatever, this will be going on. And then at some point, the, the broadcasters will stream in a live video of, of, of a person over the NBA Replay Center. And the NBA Replay Center is not like in the building. It's somewhere in the United States where these people are hired to sit and watch the film of the games as it's going live so that the refs can get the call right. So what they do is like, so let's say like a coach comes and challenges, says, no, this was not off my player. The replay center is helping the refs at the game get this right. And the reason they do this, what I'm getting at here is these refs are going to get help to look at the rule book because the rule book was made originally by someone's opinion. The game of basketball was made by someone's feelings and opinions at that point. They decided what winning and losing was, what out of bounds was. And so what I want to do is I want to take a play out of their book, and I want to go to God's book and go, what is winning and losing? He's the one who created the game. So it does not matter your opinion, your boss's opinion, your spouse's opinion, your kid's opinion. It matters God's opinion, whether you're winning or losing. And so today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at just two metrics, and I'm, I'm forewarning you, this, this first metric is going to take probably a little bit longer to explain, but uh, it, it's fine. So the first metric this morning that, to know if you are winning is that um, you know you are winning if you are saved. You know you are winning if you are saved. And if you're thinking to yourself, duh, thanks Captain Obvious for like that amazing metric to live your life by, let me explain. Um, a couple weeks ago, I was reading, um, doing my just daily reading. It's not always daily, I'll be honest. Uh, but I was doing my reading in the Bible, and I came across, across this passage of Scripture where I felt like God highlighted something on my heart in regards to this message. And I want to show you this today because if you're a Jesus follower and you understand the long game is eternal, you already know that like the first step to winning that is getting saved. 
But the temptation, I think, becomes that we settle for the salvation prayer and going to church is just good enough, right? My ticket was punched, like my flight is reserved, like I'm good to go. And that confidence is good, but if it breeds laziness or relaxation, you actually can find yourself in an issue when it comes to God's metric of being saved. And so that's what I want to look at today. So Luke chapter 13, if you have your Bible, you can turn there. And before I read it, I want to give you just one piece of context for the scripture. This text is pretty self-explanatory in a lot of ways. but I think knowing this detail will help you understand it with a little bit more gravity. And that detail is found in Luke 9:51, where it says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Say resolutely. Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And this should catch our attention because Luke, the author Luke, is signifying a shift in the story. He's saying that this is the beginning of the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. So when he's saying this, he's saying Jesus is headed to Jerusalem where he, he will be captured, beaten, crucified, and then rise from the dead so you can be saved. And this is important to us because Jesus isn't pulling punches in what I'm about to read. See, Luke 9.51 is only like three or four chapters before Luke 13. I don't know. I'm not good at math. You do the math. I think it's four. I don't know. Um, anyway, but it's a couple chapters before this, and Jesus isn't pulling punches. His ministry was coming to an end, and his oxygen was going to be gone soon. So he was taking every moment he could to say what he needed to say, the truth he needed to say. And this is why he talks so candidly in this scripture, and this is why I think we need to look at it today. So Luke 13, 22 says, Then Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, say, someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And he said to them, and what I want you to notice here is he doesn't just turn and answer this person. He turns to multiple people around him, and he generalizes the answer to this question. He's not directly going, yes, this many people are going to be saved. He kind of teaches here. He says, make every effort, say every effort, to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Many will try to enter and will not be able to. And then he starts talking in parable forms, a story form about heaven. He says, once the owner of the house, being God, gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you came from. Now, at this point, for most of us, if we were hearing the story, I think we'd settle going, well, I punched, my ticket's punched, like I'm going to heaven, right? Like I'm, I'm there, like I've, I've said the salvation prayer, I'm good. And let me preface, I'm not trying to freak you out today about your salvation. I just want this tension to set on you. Jesus confronts this, I think, this lazy attitude and says, then you will say, but we ate and drank with you. Because God's saying, no, you, you go. I don't know you. Go away. He's saying, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evil, evildoers. There will be weeping and there will be gnashing of teeth when you say Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets. So the great cloud of witnesses in heaven in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are thrown out. Now, I don't know about you, but I can't help but read this and feel the weightiness of what is being said here. I don't want to find myself personally waking up one day to realize everything I was doing was just a bunch of action, and it actually didn't get me saved. And again, I think the temptation of this world is to get caught up in in how we will make ends meet, or if I'm doing good in my marriage, if I'm raising my kid right, all these different things. And I think the reality is if you can let this metric that I'm about to share with you settle in, it will rise to the surface, and those other things will sink in importance. And I'm not saying they, they, they become less important. They just will not become as obvious as this metric. And so I want to give you just three things about this point really quick. Three, three things from this passage of Scripture that I notice under this first point. The first thing that Scripture teaches me is there will be winners and there will be losers. 
Not there might be, there will be winners and there will be losers. When I read this, Jesus draws a clear line that says some will win and some will lose. Look at it again, Luke 13, 23. Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? I read this and I go, this man, this man or woman, this person's coming up to Jesus going, Lord, are there going to be many winners in the end? Like, are, are many people going to win at this game? And Jesus' reply to this is super interesting. He says, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try and will not be able to. Like, March Madness is happening right now. I don't know if any of you are interested in that. There's some crazy games yesterday that happened. But March Madness is happening right now. And, like, there's, like, I can't remember how many games. there. Like, there's, like, 60 teams or something that start this. 59 of those teams will not be getting the championship in the end. We understand that in every other game. But when it comes to your faith, like, you have to understand God's not making exceptions. You will or will not be able to. The Greek word for here that says will not be able to actually speaks on the positive side of its meaning. The Lord strengthening a person with combative, confrontive force to achieve all he gives faith for. So in other words, God gives access and ability to do something. So on the negative side, when Jesus is using this Greek word to say they won't be able to, he's saying there's no way around it. God has taken away access. You will not be able to enter. And this is important insight to the reality of the long game because this type of conclusive, exclusive, and what some would label narrow-minded thinking is how God plays the game. And it does not matter if our world wants to distort theology. There's some people that believe, God, if he's so gracious and loving, I'm going to get to the end of life. I'm going to win regardless because if he's really so good and gracious, I will get there. And that's, that's just distorting what God says. I don't know how you can look at this and see anything different. And just because our world wants, a participation, wants participation trophies does not mean God's handing out participation trophies. He's only going to hand out participation trophies to those who participate in the way that he says you will win or you will lose. So that's the first thing I noticed from this passage. The second thing is that winning requires maximum effort. Say maximum, maximum effort. Again, the person comes up to Jesus and says, Lord, are only few people going to be saved? And Jesus doesn't answer directly. He says, make every effort. This Greek word for make every effort means to contend in an athletic contest, to, to fight against somebody. It talks about grit and effort, perspiration. It's not sitting on your couch and reading your Bible. It talks about this intense, focused, disciplined effort. And Jesus in this passage is saying, if you want to win, it means you need to be saved. And if you want to be saved, there isn't a half-hearted, go-through-the-motions way about it. And this isn't the only occurrence we see this. There's multiple scriptures. Throw that next slide up there for me. It says in Matthew, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, he's not talking about actually hating them. He's saying, like, how much do you love me? Yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not what? Worthy of me. And I don't know how we can read verses like this and just boil down our, our, our being saved to just God's grace. And, and please hear me out. I'm not saying we have the ability or can can actually earn our way to God. I am not saying that your performance determines if you are going to be good enough for God to save you. That is not what I'm saying today. What I'm trying to point out is what Jesus so eloquently illustrated. He said it requires work. And sometimes I think we have settled for the watered-down version of the gospel that says, make this prayer, but doesn't continue to remind us that it takes a day-in, day-out commitment. Jesus, you have my entire heart. It's not you coming to Sunday going, Jesus, please forgive me. I want, I, want, I want to be saved. It's going, Jesus, please forgive me. Take my life. 
take, take it. I can't, I've not been able to do anything with it on my own, so please take it. I need your help. I need every moment. I need your help. And so this is the first metric. You have to ask yourself seriously, am I saved? And I'm not saying, have you said the salvation prayer? I'm saying, does this relationship and this salvation prayer define your life? And that leads me to my third observation of this text, that winning is not, a much, is not so much about outward actions as it is inward commitment. After answering this man's question by saying, make every effort, Jesus goes in to say, once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I do not know you or where you come from. Then you will say, but we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from away from me. When I read this, I see the not fun but realistic assessment of Jesus that going through the motions does not get you to heaven. In other words, you can perform all the right actions and have all the right outward signs but can still not be saved. These people were with Jesus in person and they knew of Jesus, but that didn't make them saved. Being saved comes from the inward commitment. One commentator said it was not enough to use the right words calling Jesus Lord. People could do that and yet not have a real relationship with the Savior. Personal contact symbolized by such friendly activities as eating and drinking did not guarantee that they were bona fide believers. Neither did sharing Christian teaching with others substitute for their own direct knowledge of God. Such activities devoid of spiritual connection with the Son of God himself would not do. And today, please hear me. I, I remember Jesus confronting the Pharisees for putting unneeded burdens on the people that they were trying to lead. And my desire is not to put an unneeded burden. I'm trying to put the right burden. The burden like, and it might not be called a burden in God's eyes, but this right weight in your heart. That goes, this is a metric that is the first metric I should evaluate every day of my life by. It's, 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 this, it's this decision to say, I'm going to give my heart full time, and I'm going to make this life-altering, heart-surrendering internal action that says, I'm turning the rights of my life to Jesus, my heart, my mind, my possessions, my relationships over to him. I'm not in the driver's seat. God is. I want relationship with him, and I need it. And I think what's interesting about living by this metric, now that I've said all this, hear me out because this is the best part. The only two people that can say that you're winning in this metric is you and God. Only you can truly know, have I given my heart to Jesus? I can't judge that. Only God can affirm your evaluation of that. Because Jesus just pointed out in the scripture that, that the right fruit and right actions can actually be faked. And so that means that in our books, all those people that knocked on the door said, but we ate and drank with you, we would have gone, well, they should have made it to heaven. But God said they didn't. And so what I want you to do is this should cause two reactions. First, it, could, it should cause some fear and healthy fear. Not like fear for your life, like, oh my goodness, like I'm debilitated fear. It should cause fear of God Almighty that is so good that you need him, that you need him for every moment of reliance. There's a difference. The second thing it should do is it should relieve every one of your insecurities. Do you realize that? Because it does not matter what the metrics of this world say you are doing. It just matters if God thinks you're winning. I don't know about you, but if I woke up every morning and did not care what anyone else thought because all I cared about was God, like what God thought, I would live a much happier, more peaceful, filled life. Anybody with me? And so this is powerful. You guys see how if you grasp this metric, this metric will change your life. And I love this because if you, if you wake up in the morning and you go to bed at night going, am I winning based on my effort and, 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 and love for God, my effort to give God my heart, 
that means that you can go to work and be like, man, I feel like I'm losing today. Or you can like have a fight with your spouse and be like, I feel like I'm losing today. Or you can feel like, man, I had a terrible parent moment and I'm losing today. But you can go, am I saved? Is Jesus the Lord of my life? And if you answer yes to that question, the other things will fix themselves. Because if you say, yes, Jesus, I, I, I give you my heart. Yes, I'm winning and giving you my heart. When you give Jesus your heart, he will give you wisdom and power and ability and favor to win all those other areas. That's why he says, seek first my kingdom and all these other things will be added to you. So that's the first metric today. The second metric, the last one, is that is, is based on a paradox. And I know it took me a, a little bit there to explain that one, so I'm sorry. This one will go a little faster. And if you don't know what a paradox is, in Trenton's version, a paradox is a truth or principle in God's kingdom that looks seemingly the exact opposite of what the world says is true or what makes sense in our human minds. So basically what a paradox is, is where the world might say greatness is having a platform and having people serve you. Jesus says greatness is, is using the platform you have to serve people. Right? You're not, your goal is not to have people follow you, but to actually impact people's lives. Another one will be the world says that what you see with your eyes, what science proves is true. And what God says is true is actually faith. And you're not supposed to live by sight. You're supposed to live by faith. And so the paradox of his kingdom that we need to consider today as the metric, the second metric, and again, I think these two metrics encapsulate everything that you need to base your life off of, is this paradox. In the world we live in, being a winner means you make someone else a loser. But in the kingdom of God, being a winner means after you have won, you dedicate your life to making other people winners too. I just want that to sink in because that's like mic drop right there. Like I could just end. In the world we live in, being a winner means you have won by making someone else a loser. But in the kingdom of God, being a winner means after you have won, dedicating your life to making other people winners too. See, in God's kingdom, more than one person can win and should win. He wants everyone to win. He's made a possibility for everyone to win. He's given them all the chance, and he's called you to be a part of that process. And so that leads to the second metric. First, you know you're winning if you're saved. Second, you know you're winning if you use you being saved to help save others. If you use you being saved to help save others. So stepping beyond the passage of Scripture we have just looked at, I want to look at another passage we've looked at before. And it's the passage where Jesus calls his disciples, his first disciples to him in Matthew 4. Just two verses. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said, come follow me, and I will send you out to fish for people. I hear two actions here. Come follow me, which is essentially that first metric, are you saved? Come, I will save you. Come, be in relationship with me. Second metric is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you fish for people. I'm going to have you go out and do something with your life. And what I want you to understand is after Jesus saves you, sorry, Joy, can I turn the piano down up here? That's my bad. It's just a little toasty. Um, can't hear myself talk, and then I don't know what I'll be saying, and then you guys will all leave. So um, Jesus doesn't, doesn't save you to then just bench you, retire you, or leave you in the locker room. He saves you, not because you were useless, I mean, in ways you were useless, but because now you can be usable. He can use you. And so the second metric you need to ask yourself is, am I sa- is not am I saved, that's the first one, is am I leaving losers behind? Am I leaving losers behind? And if you follow Jesus for any length of time, you already understand this metric. And like, I think we all understand it, but we, but we struggle to actually act it out. And I don't know what your reasons are for, for doing this. I know mine, fear, 
right? I'm worried what someone might think. I don't feel like I have the opportunity. I don't know, like, if, if, if I can. Um, I think someone else can probably better than me, right? These are the excuses we use to not help save others. But we have to step beyond these excuses because the reality is when you get to heaven, you will give an account for the life you lived and the way that life impacted other people. That's it. Jesus said in Luke 12, 15, life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. In other words, life does not consist in the finite temporal things that fade away. It consists in the one who possesses your heart and the hearts of the people next to you. And what I want to get at today is that every person in this room has the same desire deep down in their heart. You want to matter. You don't want to be pointless. You want to leave a mark on this world. And that doesn't even have to be a selfish or arrogant ambition. That's how God created you to be. No one wants to be here just sucking up oxygen waiting for their time to go. If you do, like, please tell me because that's really depressing. And the sad reality is that so many people think they are doing something with their life. They think through their popularity, platform, possessions, opportunities, experiences, successes, they are doing something. But as we saw week one of the series, James described our life and all that stuff as mist. He says, James 14, he says, what is your life? You are a mist. I was pretty short. You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Now, I don't know about you, but that's like, if that's your life, that's pretty depressing. <laughs> Some of you are like, well, maybe like, I, like, no, I'm pretty important. Okay. <laughs> like, still, it's not very impressive. And for me, when, when, I, when I read this, it's humbling. And if I don't have the hope of Jesus, it actually is depressing. It's like, why am I here? But what you have to do is you have to look through the lens of the kingdom of God. And what you see is that God takes this and he couples it with everyone else's this. In his grand story of eternity, the long game, and it matters. You're standing in this building because 50s or 60s, someone else that you did not know built this building. Your parents raised you. The people in your life that led you to Jesus did that for a reason. Their mist made an impact on you. And so your job now is to make an impact on somebody else. And the beauty of this is you think mist is like not, like it's really not that impressive, but when you couple it together, it's pretty impressive. Throw that picture up there for me, would you please? Um, a couple weeks ago when Pastor Kevin and I were in Houston for a conference um, on some of our downtime, um, I found on Google this place called The Water Wall. Has anyone been here by chance? Okay. Oh, let's go. Okay. So you guys know what I'm talking about. So we went there, and we were in Houston, and it looked really cool in the photos. So we're like, why not? And so basically, this is downtown Houston. It's like a little oasis in the middle of nowhere, like in the middle of this huge city. And so as we walked up, it looks pretty cool. But I remember when we were taking this photo, you may not be able to see the mist, but I am feeling it all over my legs and my face. When I'm walking on the outside, the other side of that wall has water going down. You can just feel it blowing off of this thing. And as I was prepping this message this week, I just felt like the Holy Spirit was like, this is what happens when people couple themselves with my, with my plan. It's why you giving 100000 or 100000 please give $100,000. Uh, it's why you giving $100 to a Speed the Light pledge led to $53,000 as a church. It's why your, your tithe, even if it seems like a lot to you or a, a small amount to you, added with everyone else keeps the lights on in this building and allows us to do what we're doing. This is why, why you don't have the pressure to save everybody in your life. You just have the pressure to try to help save somebody. 
Do you realize if everyone in this room would just go and make a priority for the rest of their life, I'm going to make sure this person gets in the kingdom of God, this church would double by the time you're dead. And I don't know about you, but that's pretty good growth when it comes to the kingdom of God. And so it's going, God, I'm barely anything. But when I add it to mine, to PKs, to Pastor Rhonda's, to Allie's, to Sasser's, to Sarah's, to all of you, this starts becoming impactful. And so church, what we have to understand is when we live our life trying to define if I am winning by what amount of money I make or opportunities I have, or if I have this or not, we are missing the point. And all of that is going to dissipate at some point. But when we go, God, here's this. I don't know about you, but we're still talking about Paul 2,000 years later and the impact he made on our lives. And I love it because Paul made this and he realized this in the verse I call my life verse. And I actually need to probably ask for forgiveness because I don't live it out enough. But he says, Acts 20, 20, 20, 22 through 24 says, And now I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. Here's the catcher. My life is worth nothing. Say nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. See, Paul recognized that other than being saved, the only other metric that determined if he was winning is if he had other people win with him too. This word in the Greek for worth means valued in the eyes of the beholder. God's, God's your beholder. So Paul went, my life is worth nothing to God unless I use the life he saved, that he like horrifically died for to then actually use it for something that matters. And I think the beauty of this call is that it does not have to do with being a pastor or a missionary. You do not have to be a pastor or a missionary. God's calling you to just be that wherever you're at. You work at a bank, fine. You work at a car dealership, fine. You're a stay-at-home mom, fine. You work for the state, fine. It does not matter. Are you impacting the one person you sit next to five days of the week? Is your kid gonna come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior and live their life for his name? That's powerful. And I don't know about you, but that's hope-filled. Because like at the end of the day, like for me, this is last, back to last Saturday, I felt depressed in areas of my life. I was going, Trenton, you're failing in these areas. You should be further in these areas. And this was a slap in the face because I'm winning in all of these. I think I'm actually crushing in areas of these. And I don't need anyone to tell me. God's word tells me I'm crushing these areas. That's, my, that's confidence. I could crush even more if I would submit my life more, but I know I'm making an impact. I know that I'm saved, and like, I know that like, even though it's imperfect, I am trying as hard as I can to give my heart to Jesus, and even though it's painful at times, it takes me through rough like patches, I know I'm doing it. And so it doesn't matter if I'm losing anything else. All those things will get figured out. So in closing today, I know that these metrics are not like the 10 steps you could find on Google, Google to tell you how to, how to win at life. But what I love about this is that as I was writing this message, I felt like the Holy Spirit affirmed what I was saying by giving me a passage of Scripture that actually sums this up. And I go, no wonder I said this. It wasn't me who came up with it. It was Jesus. It says in Matthew twenty-two thirty-six through 40, a man comes up to Jesus and says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like, like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. In this moment, Jesus was just saying, all of the Old Testament, all the rules that you have to follow God, hang on these two commandments. This is it. I don't know about you, but uh, loving God sure sounds like, are you saved and submitting your heart to him? 
I don't know about you, but uh, loving your neighbor sure sounds like are you using you being saved to save others. And I felt like the Holy Spirit just confirmed me, like, this is it. You hang your life on these two metrics, I don't think you can lose. And I think your life can be better. And so I don't know, like, I don't know if in your heart this is making an impact. I don't know if you feel depressed, sad, angry with yourself. I don't know. But what I want you to recognize is if you walk out of here and start to like implement these seeds into your life and say, Jesus, I'm sowing, I'm sowing in these fields. I'm sowing in the field that I'm in relationship with you and everything I do is gonna be defined by you. And if you say I'm sowing into the people around me, knowing that whether I see them have salvation or not, I'm making an impact in their heart. And it's not my job to save them, it's the Holy Spirit's, but I know I can sow seeds. And you just keep sowing, I don't know about you, but you're going to wake up at some point. You're going to feel more peace. I believe it. You're going to feel more faith. I believe it. You're going to have better outcomes. God's going to change your heart. And I think if you submit yourself in these metrics, you'll be a better person. And so in closing today, I want to um, sing a song. Um, and we don't have a ton of time, and I don't want to make this all emotional or anything. I just want to sing this song as an anthem for you. And before we sing it this week, as I was studying, I ran across a story of a missionary named David Brainerd. I don't know if anybody's heard of David Brainerd. He was a missionary in the 1700s to um, American Indians. And there's a story that someone found and found on the internet where David was um, in the process of ministering to a, a, uh, an Indian chief. And he was, he was trying to tell him about Jesus, and he could tell that this chief was coming close to accepting Christ as his Lord and Savior. And David got up, and he took a, a stick, and he drew a circle in the dirt around the chief. And he said, chief, before you leave this circle, you need to make a decision. And he did this because he recognized this could be this man's chance at making the decision. And for some of you, if that means like, no, I've accepted, I've said the salvation prayer, but I need to make that decision that I'm submitting every part of my life to him, that's the decision you need to make today. For some of you, you've already been doing that, but church, we, our church can do better at carrying the light of the gospel out to our people. And I'm not saying thump them over the head with the Bible or even start talking about Jesus constantly, but are you living your life going to work, not with just the purpose of getting a pay or doing your best at your job, but for the people that are there? And some of you need to draw that circle. Before you leave this place today, you need to make a commitment. You need to write a name down and go, I'm, I'm going to, like this person's going to be annoyed of me because I'm going to be loving them so much. And so I want to take a moment to do that today. And Julie's going to sing this song. And I want you, if you want, you can come up here and, and reflect. Um, and maybe if the pastors want to stand up here, if people come up, you can kind of just pray over them. You don't have to ask them. Just lay hands on them. I want to give them opportunity to reflect. We have a few minutes. Um, and some of you might just sit there and reflect, and that's fine. But I want you to make a commitment today. And I want you to remi remind you of the parable Jesus talks about the soils and the seed going on the soils. And that if you don't let the, the seeds take root, they get snatched away and it was pointless. And I don't want that word to do that. I think this word can change our hearts and our lives today. So she sings this today. Feel, feel, move, feel, feel uh, free to move.
Sing that again today, one more time. Let's declare it today. Make this your prayer. God, today we just come. God, we give you our hearts. God, we give you our lives. God, I pray that if people have not been asking this question because they would rather just play ignorance as bliss, God, rather than, than really going, God, am I winning or not? God, I pray that they would ask that question. God, and they would not ask it from the, the perspective of other people or even their own opinion, God, but the opinion of you. God, we've been called to play this game. God, you put us here on this earth to play this game for a reason. God, our life is not pointless. God, and if we waste it away, God, on all the things, God, that you say are, are not the things we're supposed to spend it on, God, we're missing the point. And so I just pray, God, these people that are responding today, God, whether it's at their seat, God, or up here, God, that you in their heart would speak to them, God, about these metrics. God, I pray that people will be freed from insecurity. God, if they wake up every day worrying about what they look like or what they act like or what they do because they're worried about what people will think. God, I pray that people would, would find peace, God, in the fact that you are so good, God, that you love them, God, that you, and that you want relationship with them. God, I pray that these people will wake up every day and base their life, not being perfect, but base their life on moments with you, having moments with you, giving their heart to you. God, and we just thank you for it today. God, we thank you for it today. God, we thank you for it today. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen, amen. Thanks for coming today, church. I encourage you, our prayer team's coming up if they haven't already. And if you need more prayer or more specific prayer on this, please have prayer on that. And I encourage you to let this sink in. I don't know about you, but sometimes I have to go re-listen to a message, and that may seem like the worst thing ever to you, but force yourself to do it if it's something that you need to continue to let this seed plant in your heart and your life. Anyway, we'll see you in the weeks to come. Please again pray for our staff this week as we're out of town, um, spending time trying to hear God um, and grow together. Um, and we will see you next week um, and the weeks to come. Here at Relevant Life Church, it's our mission to see people connect with God, relate to one another, and reach our world. This single statement drives everything we do as a church. Our hope is that today you were encouraged in this. Thank you for joining us and have a blessed day.